2: Today on the show, we are recapping the Seahawks win over the Philadelphia Eagles. The Seahawks go on the road. They get the win 23 to 17. And as close as that score sounds, it was not that close watching this game. Talking pre-show here with uh, John Morgan and Mookie Alexander. Mookie, you came into this saying that this game was boring.
1: Yeah, I'm going to sleep well at night for two reasons. One, the Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West. And two, this game was dull enough that I'm quite drowsy already but it it was a grind out when it's one of those ugly road wins because Seattle's offense really did not get into third gear really outside of one player. Uh, But the defense did what it had to do. And outside of that fluky, admittedly pretty cool touchdown at the end, they dominated that Philadelphia offense. And I would expect them to do that because this Eagles offense, I know people have been clowning the bears a lot this season. I am almost certain this Eagles offense is worse than that. Ooh, ouch.
2: Yeah, that was uh, it was a tough thing to watch, especially early on. And when the Seahawks got up 14 to nothing and it felt like it still should be more, it it almost felt uh, disappointing being up 14 to nothing because I I thought it should be more. And a big part of that was DK Metcalf. John Morgan joining the show. Can you be bored, John, with DK throwing up 177 yards on 10 catches against the Seagulls defense?
0: Uh, No, that did not bore me. Uh, That was pretty exciting. I mean. He's phenomenal. Uh, I was—I thought of myself as one of his biggest fans coming out of the draft. I just thought that he looked like just a huge steal. I could not believe he had fallen so far. I thought it was a, uh, a a wonderful gift because I think that people really overthought it and they failed to see that the you know smart, young, good-hearted kid with who was incredibly big and incredibly fast was going to be able to figure out how to become a good receiver. You know, I thought that was just crazy. And I still think that's crazy. I just still I just still love that. And I still love that when you listen to Metcalf talk, it seems like he uh, he still believes that he has to prove himself constantly. He's got a really big chip on his shoulder. I noticed uh, Jamal Adams does too. I don't usually watch it on the uh, post game press conferences, honestly, because I I get uh, that's boring to me. I, I can watch any game over a post game press conference, um, but Adams has just got he's got a lot of fire in his belly. He's he he really lashes out at anyone who seems to doubt his ability even the slightest. And it's a wonderful personality to have for an athlete, for any sort of competitor. You know, anyone who seems to have to constantly prove themselves and gets pissed off at even the slightest slight or even the slightest perceived slight or even just calling them on something that they actually did wrong. That's a that's an attitude that, that tends to, you know, allow a person to really tap into their talent. And Metcalf is, I don't know. I mean, Adam said that he thought that Metcalf still had another gear left. He still could get even better than this. I think that's true, too. You kind of see him like when you drop that touchdown, Mm. you almost see that when he's not proving himself, when when the game's kind of decided and it's just, you know, it's that extra little. Are we going to dominate you guys? Are we going to embarrass you guys? Are we going to really run up the score? I think he has a little bit of a concentration lapse. And, you know, I think that he could get to be that kind of guy who doesn't just want to have 177 yards, but he wants to have 200 plus. He wants to be the headline. He wants to have schooled somebody. He wants to embarrass somebody. And uh, I think that that may be the difference between him and being maybe the best wide receiver in football at this point. He has clearly shown that he can consistently use the talent he has to get open against a wide variety of coverages and quarterbacks. Uh, at this point, he is in the conversation, at the very least, of the best wide receivers in football.
2: Yes, as good as the day was for DK Metcalf, 10 catches, 177 yards, eclipsing 1,000 yards and already catching 58 passes which matches his catch total from last season. It could have been better because he did drop that 22-yard pass to him in the end zone and man there were a couple things that happened during this day mookie where it it felt like the Seahawks could have, you know, really laid it on this Eagles defense.
1: Yeah, it just feels like they play the same game with the Eagles over and over and over again. Because if you look at all of the Wilson games, all the Seahawks games against the Eagles in the Wilson era, 24 to 14 against the Chip Kelly team that was quarterbacked by Mark Sanchez. I think 26 to 15 in 2016. That was Wentz's rookie year. 24 to 10 in 2017. And that was Wentz's MVP caliber season. I think his last full game before he got injured. And then um, last year, the 217 to 9s. And then this year, you get a 23 to 17. So, it feels like they have largely dominated just about every matchup against Philadelphia in the Wilson era, and yet the scoreboard would suggest something otherwise. So certainly they had missed opportunities. The Metcalf dropped touchdown. It seems like Metcalf was at fault on the failed fourth and in inches or fourth and goal play on that weird pop pass to David Moore. Right. Uh, but, you know, I hate the play call anyway. Even if it worked, I would have said, like, really, that's that's the play call you want to run? And also, there was a deep shot the first play of the second half where I think Metcalf misjudged the ball. Yeah. because. I know Greasy and Riddick were talking about it being overthrown, but it felt like Metcalf needlessly tried to shield off Slay when if he had just kept running, he would have been underneath that. I don't know if it would have been a touchdown. He could have gotten out of bounds, but at the very least, it would have been a big play and a potential scoring drive. So, yeah, it it was not the prettiest performance by the Seahawks' offense. I'm not terribly concerned because Philadelphia's defense is, is not bad at all. Seattle's played a fairly soft schedule of opposing defenses throughout this season. New England is dead last by DVOA. So you look at their their recent opponents. Rams rank eighth in DVOA, and I'm, I don't know if that'll change on Tuesday. Probably will. But the Rams are eighth, Cardinals are twelfth, Eagles are thirteen. So the schedule's ratcheting up a bit. And Washington, the Washington football team, quietly is sixth. Wow. So that's something to monitor soon. But the Eagles were just going all out on defense to to hopefully generate turnovers and and make the score not as as embarrassing as it could have been because that offense was doing nothing all day i credit the eagles for at least uh given it they're they're all on on defense but jim schwartz as i've just found out on twitter he's the one who might have sparked dk Metcalf's big game because he apparently came up to him pregame and said uh he was in detroit with megatron and he said to dk you're not there yet so that's that's dk metcast like michael jordan i took it personally thing and God bless Jim Schwartz, because he just finds new ways that I didn't think were possible to be terrible. As if DK Metcalf <laughs> needed any more motivation against an Eagles
2: team that took J.J. Ortega-Whiteside ahead of him in the second round of the NFL draft and, and made him fall all the way to the last pick of the second round. And here's Jim Schwartz coming up to him pregame and, and saying that he's not Megatron yet. Yeah, good job. I, I'll take
0: that motivation from Jim Schwartz for DK. Yeah, Schwartz just seems to... He seems to have um, a lot of skills and he seems to be an intelligent guy and he seems to have some sort of self-destruct mechanism. I I think back to when Jim Barba kind of bullied him with the handshake and uh, it was, you know, I think that if you would have just walked away from it, probably no one would have thought anything of it or they would have just thought, boy, you know, Harbaugh seems like kind of a jerk. He's got that kind of big brother mentality where he has to physically intimidate other people to feel like he's the better coach or whatever. But when Schwartz just chased him down the field, he ended up looking so desperate and so insecure and like he had been bullied. And it just was, I think that's something where when you're the coach and you're the leader and really the authority figure for a lot of highly competitive young men, it just ends up making you look very insecure. And I think that's exactly what it sounds like. If you approach the other teams, big time uh, superstar celebrity, top three, maybe best wide receiver in football right now. I mean, stuff like that changes so fast. It's hard to really be specific. And to say something like that, it can't go well. I mean, I I, I don't think that he was going to come away from it if the Eagles had somehow won and Metcalf had had a terrible game and said, oh, yeah, I was playing some mind games on Metcalf. I told him he wasn't as good as Megatron. And the truth is, is that in his second year, I don't know that he is. I mean, Megatron at his peak was just so in control of his talent. But why would you do that? Why would you why would you challenge a guy? Why would you give them incentive to prove you wrong and humiliate you in that way? But Schwartz decided to do that. I mean, something inside him just made him want to put his foot so far up his mouth in his mouth that he choked, you know?
2: Well, and it's silly to even uh, bring up that name when you're talking to DK, because here's here's the season that Calvin Johnson has been. He's a finalist in the Hall of Fame voting. And yeah. DK Metcalf's going into his second year, so to say a guy's not there yet, going into his second year yet, of course it's not. But I, what's what's the point to even t- to approach that with him? It, it just it seems silly. It did seem to motivate him. I don't know if the Eagles had something for DK particularly in this game because I mean he from one of his very first catches where gosh he took a heck of a shot, still stayed on his feet. Not too long after that, there were two personal foul plays by the Eagles where, you know, he's he's blocking Slay and and Slay seems to take issue with DK blocking him hard and uh, ends up pushing him at the end of the play. Then number 97 comes up behind him after the play is well over pushes DK yeah. in the back. And it, it, two of those personal foul plays let the Seahawks essentially get inside the red zone. And unfortunately, it led to a fourth and goal. And, and Mookie brought up the the handoff that got stuffed in the backfield. But they seem to have it out for him early on in this game.
0: Yeah. And it, it feels like that some of the contempt that I think must have been inside of Schwartz's head to, to, to thinking that is not necessarily contemptuous of DK, but openly challenging him like that, saying that to him is kind of contemptuous, as if he's fragile mentally or he's going to then attempt to do too much or he's going to get into a fight and throw a punch or something like that and get himself thrown out of the game. I think that some of the the seeming contempt that went into actually saying that to Metcalf before the game bled into how they covered him. I mean, um, you know, I know that Slay has a very good reputation, but he looked totally overmatched by Metcalf. You would just watch him down after down, and it was, you know, there, there was a certain kind of peewee football logic to it. You know, there's one kid who's a lot smaller, and seems like he's really struggling to keep up with this guy. And so this, you know, Metcalf is always open. He's always got separation. He's got body separation. He's he's running away from the guy. And I, I think they asked for it. You know, there's got to be a coverage. There's got to be some sort of way they could have rolled the safeties or done something to give Slay some some help. But he was just left out there, play after play. And by the time that they seemed to recognize that it was, I mean, I guess I don't. I didn't get the impression that they ever fully adjusted to what Metcalf was doing. But essentially, by the, by the time that he had, uh, vented some of his rage and frustration at, uh, at Schwartz for sliding him, the game was essentially over. And, and so I just don't, I just think that's so strange. I know that I've heard that Schwartz is a, is a smart guy, and I think he's, uh, got a good head for X's and O's, but there's, there are qualities in people who are otherwise good at their job that often make them fail because there's something almost self-destructive about it. And it seems self-destructive to challenge the opposing offense's best skill position player.
2: Well, DK Metcalf, obviously the highlight of this game, the offense overall, though, when you look at it, it's 177 yards to DK Russell had 230 yards total. That means 53 yards going to the receivers. The running game wasn't especially great on the day. Uh, We did have a nice touchdown run by Chris Carson, 16 yards into the end zone on a second and 16 where it looked like the Eagles, Mookie, they just weren't even expecting the run. And Chris Carson getting physical at the end to to push the ball into the end zone. That put him up 14 to nothing.
1: Yeah, it was a brilliant play call because second and goal after the intentional grounding, at least they got that intentional grounding correct. <laughs> they, they caught him on a trap uh, a trap block. And I think that's where Mikey Upati really excels, especially with his days in San Francisco. Uh, and Carson is just able to bully his way into the end zone. And right there, I felt that was game set and match, but I forgot that this is the Seahawks game. It can't always be that easy. Um, I thought Carson looked at times he looked like his old self, but at other times you could tell he's not at a hundred percent. That's gotta be the only reason why he had 10 touches compared to Carlos Hyde 17. Yeah. Uh, because Hyde was like absolutely no value tonight, 17 touches for 29 yards. He did have a touchdown called back because Cedric Obwehi, uh, committed a pretty needless holding penalty five yards down the field when Hyde's running away from him. Um, so please get well Brandon shell like immediately, because I don't think we can see another week of a boy. he, but I feel like the Seahawks offense was oddly conservative. Like, like this is not the Russell Wilson offense that we normally see. Like the only shot plays went to Metcalf. And then there was one kind of hopeless throw of block that drew a pass interference, but everything was short stuff underneath. And, you know, their, their quick game really just is, is not at the level of, of the other top offenses in the league. It's not really one of Wilson's strengths and um, the fourth down play calling Not a fan of either play call, but if I could offer a semi-hot take on the first fourth down failure, I don't think it would have been terrible to kick the field goal there. Mm. Uh, For one reason, you got to know your opponent. Field goals are not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but against the Eagles, the risk is you end up with an empty possession, and the more empty possessions you come up with when there are opportunities to score, the better the chance that a team like the Eagles can get into this and pull off an upset win. So if they had gone up 3 nothing, I would have been fine there. I know the analytics would suggest that is the right call. It probably was the right call. But I do think you have to strategize on a team-by-team basis, just as you would pregame. So I don't think in-game is any bit different than pregame. So um, the, the Seahawks' offensive line, to me, was the, the one most notable blemish because I don't think anybody performed well. Not Dwayne Brown, not Eupati, not Postick, who didn't really look all that good either. It was probably his worst game of the season. Damian Lewis, I didn't notice anything too bad, but I think he gave up a couple of pressures as well. And then oh boy, he is a boy, he. So we have to credit the Eagles because they have a really good front four. Like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and then Derek Barnett, of course, had a couple of big plays. But they were just giving up too many instant pressures. The run blocking was just way out of sorts and kind of just blew up the offense. Like They, they, they tried to be more balanced tonight, I felt, uh, or at least tried to do the, the run-the-clock-out offense in the fourth quarter, but it was just going nowhere. My only... Issue down the line is that Dwayne Brown did limp off the field. Euopati also did the same thing. Those are your more experienced guys on the line, which is another way for me to say old. <laughs> and if they start to break down, the Seahawks just don't have the depth to deal with any injuries on that side of the line. They barely have the depth to do it on the right side of the line. Yeah, and he uh,
2: was an issue in this game. I, I did notice Damian Lewis miss a couple blocks as well, and it just seemed like Russ. There were moments where he had trouble being comfortable, where you know, I think of that fourth and two where he, you know, the play was to throw it out to Lockett, and that play wasn't there initially, but as soon as it wasn't there, he seemed to to bail out of it right away, looking to move up into the pocket and, and maybe try and run it. And it just seemed like he didn't want to take any chances hanging back in the pocket for too long in this game.
0: And probably with good cause. I mean, that is a very good defensive line for Philly. And uh, I saw a lot of struggles by the offensive line, too. Damian Lewis, who uh, was accepted from criticism, I have to point out that I saw Fletcher Cox um, drive him into the ground like a nail spike on on his sack of uh, Russell Wilson, and he got shed on another stuff of a run. I think that he is functioning at the limits of his talent, and so he seems to have a couple plays, like Joey Hunt style plays a game at least, where he just seems to get knocked around a little bit. Uh I think maybe his future might be at center, so I was actually pretty excited to see him start at Center. I know he had kind of a rocky game, but that was very, very difficult. Simon. when you look at him physically, you think, I mean guards are giant, guards are just in general giant. maybe the biggest you know and the best are often just very, very giant people who have uh the kind of generalized skill set that allows them to fight off a of wide variety of different defensive tackles and defensive ends and sub packages. Uh, so I'm a little concerned about, I'm a little concerned about Lewis. I'm a little concerned about the overall quality of the line. Dwayne Brown has looked like he is having one of those years that maybe changes how we project him because while well, I think he's having a decent year and I've seen him do some good stuff, it seems like he is a little bit hurt and often awful lot. Um, And of course that's, that's you body in a nutshell. So he's just barely gripping. Uh He's, you know, like, gripping to his position and gripping to his career, I think. So it's, you know, I, I, Wilson puts a strain on his offensive line, but I think there's definitely some signs of, you know, that, that uh, this offensive line is probably going to need to be remade in the offseason. But for now, I think it's okay. You know, I think that we'd think a lot differently of the offensive line after tonight if Carson could just run the ball more. I get the impression that the Seahawks probably do not know exactly what Carson could survive. Foot injuries can be very hard to properly diagnose and to know how to treat, and yet everything you do is going to be driven through the foot. And so they can be massively debilitating and they, the, with the run blocking and from just what I saw from uh, Carlos height, you know, I, I'm maybe Mookie was smart to not respond to this, but I felt a little bit proud of myself when I said he had all the juice of a uh, squeeze Capri sun. Cause he just seems like when you see him, you're just not seeing him do anything. Well, you're just looking at a guy who is not, doing anything catastrophically bad. He's not massively missing the hole or anything like that or squandering opportunities. He'll hit that hole. He'll start to get into the open field, and then it's just done. And that's not uncommon for a guy who is a good, above-average running back who's just reaching the end of his career. I wish there was still some of that win-forever attitude and they started scouring the you know, four corners of the globe, so to speak, um, for any sort of talent that might be out there because I do think that they are still not really – properly balanced they get very pass heavy very quickly uh i think that when you start to factor out wilson's runs and you start to factor out runs that are clearly just meant to stop the clock you'd say that you're still seeing a ratio that allows teams to pass rush without any fear that they're going to get blocked into and that it's going to spring a long run i think that you see teams that know that they can keep the safeties back and can cheat against play action so i would like to see you know i, I i'm going to come away from this and say it's good because carson did well. He looks like he can play with whatever is ailing him. Um, I don't know how many snaps they can ramp up and give him, but it's, you know, I, I honestly thought this was a great win because I had a little bit of a fear that this was going to be one of those games where, you know, the Seahawks were 61% favorites because of win probability or something like that. And people always massively underestimate the chance that something that happens 39% of the times will happen. And every team is filled with professional talent and The Eagles are not uh, a bad team through and through. They just are hugely dysfunctional. And the Seahawks played well. They, They won the kind of game I did not know that they could win.
2: We've gone through this so far and we haven't talked about the defense. I think there are some things that by the score will go unnoticed by the defense. And I want to talk about that coming up next. Talking to John Morgan and Mookie Alexander about the Seahawks win against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Seahawks got the win 23 to 17. As far as the 17 points go, I, I thought the defense played a lot better than that 17 points would indicate. And I know some people are going to say, yeah, but a big part of that is because Carson Wentz is terrible and their offensive line stinks. And, you know, that's a big reason why Wentz has been struggling the season. And and all that said, I I know that's true. And they, they get six sacks on the night. But I go back to these two scoring drives for the Eagles, and the first one, Mookie, you touched on it already about the intentional grounding call. Uh, they should have had a, a second and probably about thirty, and instead they had a second and ten because clearly the the referee was standing right there, and Carson Wentz threw it three yards short of the line of scrimmage, and for some reason, Mookie, it, he. They couldn't make the proper call. I, I don't know if they were just giving him credit for recovering the fumble that went over his head and, and managing to throw it away. I, I have no idea what happened there.
1: That's grossly unacceptable officiating, especially when a line judge is standing right at the line of scrimmage and the ball is caught by a Seahawks assistant two yards in front of him. So that should have been an intentional grounding. I, I don't know what they could have seen there to say he got the ball back to the line of scrimmage. So it turned second and 30, as you said, into a touchdown drive. Now, the the two touchdown drives, one was that nonsense. And then eventually the Eagles kind of just dinked and dunked their way and Wentz had a couple of scrambles. So they got, you know, something going with Dallas guard. And then the second touchdown was pseudo garbage time and a pretty cool Hail Mary catch by Richard Rodgers, who seems to be really good at that stuff. But beyond that, it it was certainly another good defensive showing by the Seahawks. This is the worst quarterback I think that they've played all season. And yeah, it's a bad Eagles offense. But if the Seahawks are going to be even an average defense, they got to be able to dominate teams like Philadelphia. Because we saw early in the season, the New England win is aging quite poorly in terms of the defensive side of the ball, because Cam Newton has not had another game this season where he looked that dangerous as a passer. Now, a lot of it could be the fact that Edelman is gone, but still, Julian Edelman, you do not think of as this massive deep threat, and he was open pretty much all night. So in this game, the Seahawks' pass rush was was really getting after Wentz consistently. Now, Philly's offensive line, again, not good. Jason Peters is, he, he is a legend, a future Hall of Famer, but they stuck him in at right guard because he's washed up at left tackle and he looked washed up at right guard too and he's banged up. They're without their starting right tackle. So Seattle was able to get a lot of pressure with just four. The blitzes felt a little bit smarter and instead of just blitzing for the sake of it. And Jamal Adams, of course, got another sack. So he's got six and a half on the year. The only bummer here is that Carlos Dunlap has a, apparently has a sprained foot. And um, I mean, at least this is the easier stretch of the schedule. But if that's a long-term injury, he absolutely has to be back for the Rams game. Because if he goes, then so goes the pass rush, I suspect. Because I think it's made Jaron Reed better. I mean, Jaron Reed looked very lively. Puna Ford, especially. He's having sort of somewhat of a breakout season, too. Because he's known as this one-dimensional run stopper. But I'm seeing him get more and more pressures. And he did get another sack. One that probably shouldn't have counted. Because I think they called it in the grass. But, you know, you take what you get. The linebackers, of course, Wright and Wagner, you get what you get from them pretty much all the time. But outside of the pass interference penalty, really liked what I saw to Jordan Brooks. He seems to fly around to the ball, doesn't have bad tackling form or anything like that. He had a pass defense on the very first play of the game. So all around, it it was a nice showing by Seattle. And they should do this at relatively full strength against a bad offense. With the Giants and Jets and Washington coming up, this stretch needs to continue. So Dunlap will monitor that injury closely. But uh Maybe there's something about Philadelphia that makes the Seahawks look like defensive gods, because the last two seasons, they've given up at least 20 points in every game except four. One was Kyler Murray's, I think, third or fourth start of his career, and the other three have come against the Eagles. So go figure. Part of my point is, I
2: think this is one of the more dominant defensive performances they've had this season. And outside of the the refs not calling that uh, intentional grounding play and outside of the, the Hail Mary uh, essentially, that uh, was batted down by Jamal, but you know that you had the tight end diving to the ground to get the touchdown, and then they had one other field goal, and and that was the extent of their seventeen points. So I I think this was a, a really good performance by the defense.
0: Yeah, I think it was a great performance by the defense. And when you're facing a tough or a bad offense, you get to a point where how much more can you dominate them? You know, I mean, uh, of course, if Seattle were attempting to be a Legion of Boom era defense. One of the great all-time defenses. You'd want to see them forcing the kind of turnovers, otherwise, just stymieing the Eagles in such a manner that it made it effortless for the offense to win. And I don't think there is that potential right now in this defense. But they beat them. They beat them soundly. Yeah, we're going, going
2: for to... pretty good here with this kind of defense. They <laughs> have, you know, the kind of offense that can score against anybody, and it's you just need the defense to be okay.
0: And I think they were more than okay. I mean, I'm not going to take credit away from them because a deflection landed in the guy's arms got to give that a 90 percent discount or whatever because onside kicks are so rare i'm not saying that they wanted it to happen but i i doubt it moved the win probability needle all that much um but yeah i mean i think that this was a great defense and i do think that if if dunlap is out for any significant amount of time it's going to probably revert to a lot of what we saw before because you have to have someone who can consistently get pressure from from that base formation without any sort of blitzing and the seahawks didn't have that and you could see that when they built the lead The pass defense would slowly begin to crumble because teams would know they had to pass. It would stop them from doing stuff that was self-destructive, running into the teeth of the defense, the run defense. And without pressure, guys are going to bust open, especially when it's a situation where it's now or never. You've got to score. Wide receivers are not going to you know, get to the end of their route and just kind of begin to jog, which is something that happens relatively commonly. They're going to start doing everything they can to scramble open. And without any pressure, that stuff just starts to fall apart. And so I don't know. I mean, foot injury is ominous. Uh, We just went through this, but I don't want to, I don't want to worry needlessly, but the truth is is that Dunlap's contribution to the team has been seemingly transformative. I don't know that he is necessarily the best player on the defense. I think if you account for position, you, there's an argument for that, but he was the player they needed because they did not have someone like that who was just making enough mayhem and stretching out the, offensive line and creating favorable mismatch or matches for uh, matchups for other defensive linemen. Uh, Mookie's hundred percent right. Puna Ford. I have been uh, slow to praise. I think maybe because I'm a little bit insecure or maybe because I didn't maybe uh, initially see how good he would be, but he is be- turned into dis- a disruptive player, which is not necessarily what you'd expect. He just, he gets off the ball. He knows how to work gaps. He knows how to separate and he's playing in the backfield on a lot of downs. And so he has turned into a good player. Uh, I think Reed is performing a lot better. He's he's slowly, slowly accumulating the kind of sacks that you'd expect of a really high-end defensive tackle. I don't know if he is uh, performing that way when you factor in disruptions at run defense, but he looks like a good player. And the talent is there. And I think a lot of people, one of the reasons they were very quick to say fire Ken Norton is that you have the kind of names, at least, and you have the kind of reputations that you'd say, this should be at least a very good defense. Um, some of these guys have reputations like are unreal, frankly. And so you thought it had to be at least a a an average defense. And it hadn't been able to accomplish that. But one thing I always took heart of is that defensive performance is incredibly um, unpredictable throughout a season. Uh, I think that we've seen defenses take off and defenses collapse midseason. And so there is something to all these guys talking about being able to communicate better and playing with each other more because that's going to lead to fewer busts. It's going to, and busts have been a problem and it's going to lead to uh, coverage sacks because guys are just, you know, staying on their guy and no one's getting screwed up and none of the deception is working. And so I think that there is the possibility of this being an above average defense. Uh, I, I don't know if adequate, at least personally, is something that I would accept given how much that they've put into it and how much it's probably going to mean to mean in a season that has a very good chance of becoming a special season um but i think there is that possibility as long as dunlap gets back out there cuz without him i don't know what they do cuz they're back to having a bunch of guys who are good uh they're support pass rushers and they probably should not be counted on to consistently generate pressure from four uh so i hope he's great i hope that i hope it's just one of those things that that we're looking for the negative part of a great win
2: well and you hope too with dunlap being a defensive lineman you know if it is the same kind of foot sprain that chris carson had that you know, obviously a running back is going to, to need his feet at 100 percent to be able to make the kinds of cuts that he needs to. So so maybe Dunlap doesn't need to sit out quite as much time as Carson did to get back in. I definitely need him back for those last two division games. Mookie, I want to ask you about the Seahawks secondary, because I, how much credit do you give them in this win? Because I, I'm going down the stat sheet. I see Alshon Jeffrey, you know, only two catches, 15 yards. Their tight ends were the ones that were racking up the big yards with Dallas Goddard, seven catches, 75 yards. He did have, I think it was uh, Shaquille Griffin that was on him for the one touchdown. But Richard Rogers had 53 yards and he was the next highest receiving leader for the Eagles. But 33 of those 53 yards were him, you know, on the ground diving for that throw to the end zone. And you want to give him credit for a heads up play and and being able to make that catch. But it did come right at the end of the game. So uh, and then Boston Scott, who had 40 yards receiving, and it was just the you know small dump-off passes, and I think a majority of those coming on that final drive as well. So when you when
1: you look at the secondary after this game, how, how much credit are you giving them? I'll give them some credits. I feel like there were open receivers, and Wentz just flat-out missed them. Right. Um, certainly, Jeffrey got past Trey Flowers on multiple occasions, and Wentz either didn't throw his way or he did throw and he missed it. So, you know, Flowers, he is what he is at this point. I didn't think he had a bad game necessarily. He has been getting picked on a little less often these last couple of weeks, but I feel like we're on borrowed time as far as that's concerned once they start playing better offenses again. But I think Shaquille Griffin coming back definitely matters a bunch. The pass interference he got was complete nonsense on a night full of nonsensical calls from the refs. But Griffin has has not been one of those high-end corners these these last couple of seasons, or really his entire Seahawks career. But he's at least competent and above average on a really good day. And he, he did his job tonight. Diggs, of course, had the easiest interception of his life uh, with with that horrible throw Carson Wentz uh, fired off on fourth and two. And then Jamal Adams actually had a couple of good plays in coverage as well. So, you know, the secondary, I think they'll still take their lumps from time to time. But what I have noticed, they're not giving up as many just gigantic 40, 50 yard plays like they were at the beginning of the season. So whether that's due to better communication, having healthier bodies again, um, there are some encouraging signs, but I still feel that ultimately the Seahawks secondary is actually the weak spot, um, and it's not really Adams necessarily or, or, or Diggs. I think they're fine. It's more the concern about the corners now in the slot. Ugo Madi and DJ Reed. I, I don't think Reed played much on defense, at all tonight. Ugo Madi, I think, is quite good at his role, and Ryan Neal. I'm glad that he's actually getting some some snaps as an extra safety or you know a nickel and dime formation. So. As long as they stay healthy, when Dunbar comes back, it'll really be interesting to see whether Dunbar replaces Flowers or if they want to shuffle that lineup even more. But again, they have the Giants who are going to start Colt McCoy in all likelihood this week. They'll have Joe Flacco or Sam Darnold the week after that. And I'm kind of hoping it's Darnold because he's looking worse than Flacco. And then Alex Smith, who's been just, you know, it's an amazing story that he's back in the league and, and still playing, but he's still essentially captain checkdown. So there are opportunities over the next three weeks, and that's not even including the fact that they'll get to rematch golf, to just at least build their confidence and take advantage of bad throws and, and really grow together into something that is, it doesn't have to be top five because I'm not expecting that, but if they can be in that 10 to 15 range, then the Seahawks can really take off because this offensive firepower has started to slow down in recent weeks, but I'm going to be less worried if the defense can do its job against what we have to admit, is clearly inferior competition.
0: I think that the Seahawks, the players and the coaches, it's important that they do not, you know, pull a Schwartz and talk about the competition being poor uh, because, it, you know, it only kind of makes them look worse by, uh, you know, by relation. But but it, this is a very, very, very weak receiving core. And so it's, it makes it incredibly hard to judge anything from how the secondary performed. Uh, and it, it honestly, it was so bad that I don't think Wentz and his receivers knew what each other was going to do. And you get to a point where you're not sure that you can necessarily credit anyone in the secondary for doing anything because the pass is so errant or it's going in a direction that the receiver didn't run because there was there was some sort of uh, misread of coverage by Wentz or the receiver. And so I think that we should just probably say, hey, you know, they did as well as they could, and that's excellent. Um, And that's all that matters. And they won. And it was a it was a dominant win. I'm not I'm, I'm willing to broaden the definition of garbage time to include that Hail Mary uh touchdown to say that was pure garbage time, because I, I just think that onside kicks are so uncommon now and so difficult to pull off Um, that there's there is maybe something inside of people that even if they are trying their very best, they probably know that they're almost certainly not going to lose this game. Uh, and so I think that there can be a little bit of a uh, dissipation of intensity or something about, uh, I know that I get it. I know that when I'm playing speed chess, oftentimes I'll play my absolute worst after I've completely seemingly beat my opponent because there's something within me that feels almost satisfied when I haven't won yet because I'm so used to maybe them resigning or something like that. And so I, I believe that there was this was pure domination and that you have to say defense did what it could, but at the same time, I think you have to say it's so hard to know how they're going to do going forward. There's been so many weird variables. Uh, Dunbar's injury was just terrible to watch. And it was, uh, it it just absolutely, uh, it, it more than undermined the defense. I would say that it nearly destroyed its effectiveness on its own. And so what do you take from that game? And then on the flip side, you have a game like this where the offense is so disorganized and the talent level is so poor. And you have guys who are probably not even fully healthy, taking quite a few snaps out there. And so they did what they needed to do the secondary did what they need to do, and I would project nothing from this. And I think that's probably a healthy attitude.
2: <laughs> well, Mookie, coming up, you mentioned these games looking ahead for the Seahawks. It does feel like they've they've now knocked down one pin over these next four games, where they have to they have to stack wins against teams that just are not winning teams. And you know, Giants coming up next week. You mentioned Daniel Jones potentially being out, Colt McCoy being in. I saw some reports that there may be some potential that Daniel Jones could still play, but obviously less effective if he's dealing with a hamstring injury because being a mobile quarterback is part of his game as well. So it's a game that you, you just expect to win. And hey, Mookie, the Seahawks are back at the top of the NFC West after this weekend.
1: Yeah, and really, if the Cardinals can beat the Rams on Sunday and the Seahawks take care of business at home against the Giants, They're really in in such a good position that it's possible they don't have to beat the Rams to win the NFC West. Mm. Now, I don't want to leave it to that. Like, There's a possibility they could even clinch the division earlier than that if the Rams go on some sort of side or the Cardinals do. But you don't want to go too far ahead. But basically, they're in a better position now than they were last year where they were really walking on eggshells and then just faded out in December. You know, the Giants, I know that they've been winning. They're on a three-game winning streak. But I still don't think that's a good team. you got to put into perspective that the three teams they've beaten are Washington, Philadelphia, and Cincinnati, and their offense still is 30th in points scored. Daniel Jones at least has got the turnover bug out of the way these last few weeks, but if he doesn't play, Colt McCoy, I'm surprised he's been in the league this long, 10 years, but I don't expect anything out of McCoy. The Giants defense might be able to pose some difficulties somewhere because they haven't been getting lit up really these last few weeks, but they've also not been playing a difficult schedule outside of Tampa Bay's offense. Things are looking up for the Seahawks, and I, I, stress, I stress this on Sunday, but that Cardinals game, the Cardinals win last week, really has changed the whole course of the season because by winning that game, Arizona's now in legitimate danger missing the playoffs, and Seattle's in the driver's seat. Whereas if Seattle lost that Arizona game, even if they had won tonight, the playoffs would still be likely because at 7-4 and four, they'd be two up over everybody, but the division would be very unlikely. So just hopefully the, the other injury news is not big. One thing that I should mention when we we're talking about the offense, I really wish the coaching staff did not let David Moore hang out to dry as often as they did. They at least pulled him from punt returns, but he was not healthy in the slightest. He was questionable with a hip injury. He was moving in quicksand all game. The punt return where he had like 10 yards of space and just d- didn't want to put the car in drive. <laughs> right. uh, he, he really was, was not in a good position to play. He had three catches for minus six yards. Now, the and the touchdown. touchdown.
2: Was, he had the touchdown.
1: Yeah. I despise the fade route, and <laughs> I didn't expect more to Usually beat. that doesn't work, but we saw it work today. Yeah, so it, it worked for Moore, but the other two passes were the busted fourth and goal, that stupid pop pass that it would have been <laughs> a touchdown pass for Wilson, and then a quick screen where, again, Moore caught the ball. I think the play was busted because Hollister didn't get to his block, but yeah. he ended up stumbling around and losing yards again. So I think if he's not healthy, Freddie Swain has shown enough that he can just absorb his snaps and then you bump somebody from the practice squad up to the active roster and just let him sit this weekend out. I mean, it, it, he was clearly unhealthy. He was taking some some decent hits as well. And it was kind of just sad to see him, you know, really struggling to move out there. It wasn't Dunbar levels as sad, but Moore really did not help the offense much tonight, even acknowledging the touchdown.
2: Yeah. And maybe the commissioner could find it in his heart to
1: reinstate Josh Gordon, finally. Exactly. Reinstate Josh Gordon. And even when Moore is healthy again, DJ Reed needs to be the permanent kick and punt return man because he looks so much smoother and more decisive than Moore has ever looked. Absolutely. John Morgan and Mookie
2: Alexander joining me for the recap show against the Eagles. John, uh, you got anything coming up for
0: field goals this week? I think I'm probably going to try to cover Puna Ford a little bit just because I feel like he's been doing so well and, uh, and I've seen him do it so well and I'd like to give them a little recognition. Uh, And uh, I don't know exactly, you know, usually I have to watch through and really watch the tape to get a good feel for things because sometimes players look like they're doing well and then all the downs you didn't notice and they're getting creamed. And then sometimes (laughs) it's the very flip and just reporting what people perceive to have happened during the game, I don't think is doing a whole lot. So I usually try to look for something different, something that would be revealing. So I don't know exactly, just off the top of my head. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll have to watch the game tape I really do want to give a lot of credit to different members of the defense though, because probably for the first time all season, it really did feel like the defense put it, you know, put the team on his back, so to speak. It, It was the most significant part of the team winning. I really have hope that this team can still do something defensively because it's the awful burden of having Russell Wilson. But whenever he looks like he could be a championship caliber quarterback, you want them competing for a championship. And that's my standard for this year. And so I want to see what is happening in this defense because the talent seems to be there i don't personally hate norton though i don't know that he's necessarily earned his position i think that defensive coordinators can turn around when they get the right combination of talent so i just want to look into this defense probably look at jamal adams again uh adams has been kind of a fun player he's, he certainly reveals himself on tape both good and bad uh he's he's certainly tremendously fun um and it, yeah i don't know so i don't have anything to I, you know i'm like a, i'm like one of the celebrities just appearing on a talk show with nothing to Hype up! I'll I just put wanna... my vote
2: in John for Puna Ford, and then okay. uh, Jamal Adams. Uh, he seemed to be very proud of his coverage tonight. I know I did see him miss a <laughs> tackle l- late in the game, but uh, he, other than that, he he was saying that you know, man to man in coverage, he was on the top of his game. So I I think maybe uh, a look at that would be uh, you know, it might even catch Jamal's
0: eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I I feel like sometimes that if uh, if Adams did read what I wrote, or if he if he does. And he were to meet me, he would uh, want to punch me in the face, which uh, I I get kind of a kick out of that because it it makes me respect him as an athlete. And uh, but it's just, you know, that's what that's what I should be doing, too. I should be, uh, you know, I shouldn't be trying to work as the PR department for the team or anything like that. I love this team far too much to just hype them. You know, I I really expect the world from them. And so. uh, Adams is a great player, and I want him to be a great player. But I'm not going to say he's great when I don't see him being great. Well, if he comes at you, then
2: you challenge him to a a, a speed chess duel, and uh, and we go and and we cover it live
0: on field goals. Let's <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. No, I don't think we'll ever probably cross paths, but uh, I can still root. At, I can still root for him from afar, you know, and uh, give him a little business when he screws up.
2: Mookie, I got to expect everybody looking forward to an, a good enemy reaction this week.
1: Oh, yeah. I think they've uh, had the Eagles fans on enemy reaction more than any other team except the 49ers. So when Philadelphia fans are really upset, it shows. And I, I bet you that's going to be the case for our friends at Bleeding Green Nation. Just imagine if there were fans uh, at the stadium, because they had been fans at previous Eagles home games. But if there were fans tonight, there would have had to been booing every single series. And I think it's because of that that Peterson didn't stick Jalen Hurts in for more than just three snaps, because Wentz is so broken. And I don't know what Philadelphia does over these next couple of seasons because it's not just Wentz, in fairness, although ESPN's broadcasters are sure caping for him like crazy. That looks like a poorly constructed roster. And it makes you mad knowing that Carson
2: Wentz has more MVP votes than Russell Wilson. And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody, tune in for our next show, Three In, Three Out. Send your ins and outs. Use the hashtag 3i30. Send them to at ClintonBond and we'll be doing a 3 in 3 out coming up next. Stay tuned for that. And until next time,
1: go Hawks.